that strength of that conviction does not equal strength of knowledge. That person could not go in a, de- in a debate with someone who really understands the issue and, and do well. They would look like they have no idea what they're talking about because they don't. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Rose McGowan, there are no lobbyists for critical thinking. My guest today, Tim Urban, is on a mission to increase our collective ability for critical thinking. He's the founder, writer, and illustrator of the popular website, Wait But Why, a long-form blog that regularly reaches millions of readers. He's delivered a TED Talk, Inside the Mind of a Master Procrastinator, which has been viewed 29 million times, and most recently is the author of the smash hit book, What's Our Problem?, a self-help book for societies, which I highly encourage you to check out, and we will go into detail today. Tim, welcome back to the Elevate Podcast. Thank you. All right, so this is your second time on the show. In your first appearance, we dug into your background. That's episode 39, uh, if people want to dig that up and and take a listen. What's interesting, I think, sometimes is how you know age is important to writing. And I know you've written a lot of long-form things in Wait But Why and, and the, the Test of Time. Two of them, which were my favorite, I think are, are more relevant today even than ever. And that's uh, Your Life in Weeks and Why Generation Y Yuppies Are Unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> Which one do you want to tackle first? Uh, in talking oh, about why those? Let's talk about Gen Y yuppies, which are today called millennials. They they, they got the name <laughs> millennials really caught on like three yeah. months after I published that. So um, I'm still using the old term, but that was uh, that was the more common term at the time. Gen Y. I mean, that was one of the early articles that sort of talked about the arc of unhappiness, right? And I think there's an interesting paradox today where. People can presumably be anything, do anything, all these things, you know, you do you, and yet they're more unhappy than ever. And I think the the core premise of that was that is a, it was relative to to expectations. And I, I think we're seeing that play out a little bit. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it really was, um, it captured a moment back in 2013 when I wrote that. Um, and I think it, those ideas have been kicked around for a while, but... Um, you know, maybe they hadn't been put together all together that well. Uh, the, the idea that like, because I'm like on the old end of millennial or the young end yeah. of Gen X. I'm 81 birth, so I'm somewhere in the middle. You but, have um, a choice. You should identify with Gen X. I'm I, just know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I, I kind of like identifying with neither. It's kind of yeah. better that way. Um, but it just seemed like a lot. It seemed like a lot of people were were miserable. Who uh, you know were living in a pretty good time with pretty good lives, um, and so. You know, the economy had crashed. It was it was hard times in some ways, but um, but the unhappiness didn't seem to match that. And it seemed like, you know, I kind of identified like three things. I said that um that that you know millennials um were very ambitious. You know, many of their boomer parents grew up middle class and you know found their way to be upper middle class or upper class even in the very prosperous, you know, 80s and 90s. Um, and a lot of the millennials. You know, of course, it's a huge group, and there's people yeah. across the socioeconomic spectrum. But a lot of the millennials I knew were, you know, they they went to college. Many of them didn't have college debt. It, you know, wh- whether they could get a job that could get them a house and a decent life was kind of taken for granted. Like, of course, I can get that. I grew up like that. I can get that. You know, for boomers, a lot of them, and you know, a lot of a lot of them grew up 
with parents who grew up in the Great Depression and, right. you know, raised them with security as the thing. And they really wanted to, you know, their, their parents were poor and they wanted to, you know, become wealthy and become secure. And, and, and uh, so that, that's a really big goal. And if you can rise up in, in class throughout your life, and um, that's this feels like this major triumph and you feel very fulfilled by that. But if you grow up with that, you, you want more. The same way that I would say my grandparents, they just wanted to be middle class. If they could just be middle class, like that's a massive win when they're when you know their parents were shining shoes. But they also the thought that that right that that would be really really hard and maybe a lot of obstacles and harder than they perceived. Yeah. Oh, very hard. Yeah, it felt like this amazing win. Um, and then the the boomers said, well, you know, we can do even you know they wanted more than that. They wanted to go and actually be wealthy, right? And and and, and a lot of them got that. So it's natural for us to want even more than we grew up with, um, to have big dreams. And so the problem is if you keep going, you know, the millennials, there's not that much room left. I mean, they, they grew up pretty wealthy. So what's next, what's left is, Oh, I want to be fulfilled. I want like, I want to, uh, I want to achieve my dreams. I want to change the world. Right. I want to, you know, big, crazy goals, not bad. I, I think this is a great quality in millennials to have that those yeah. big dreams. The problem is the other two things that it goes along with, um, which is the first is that um, I don't know whether it's just the culture or whatever, but millennials have a knack for feeling each individual like they're very special. Like I yeah. deserve a ton, right? I deserve and and maybe not just because I'm going to work my ass off to get there, but I just am awesome. Wait till the world sees me. I'm going to get out of college and I'm going to, you know, wait till everyone hears my ideas. Well, that's because they're what their parents told them, right? I think the quote, yeah. this is the impact of a generation of of helicopter and then snowplow parenting, where the quote I've heard a lot is we move from preparing the kid for the path to preparing the path for the kid, right? Like move That's, yeah. Move aside path, Sally's coming, she's super special. Exactly. And that's yeah. not a good, actually, that's not a good way to have a raise a kid, I don't think, because <laughs> the truth is that the, you know, having, a, achieving big dreams is hard very hard and you can do it and there's a lot of setbacks really... for even everyone if you, everyone who's listened to how i built this podcast it's all yeah. near-death experiences and you know the five degrees between making it through and not making it through to to yeah. what the business was yeah you're gonna come out of college and be a nothing with no skills and no experience and you're gonna have a low-level job um and you're going to probably not be treated that well in your job um you're the lowest rung of the ladder and you're gonna have to work really hard you're probably gonna if you want to go off on your own and experiment and be an entrepreneur or an artist that's great you're gonna probably fail you're gonna probably have a bunch of failures along the way not many people crush their first business some do of course there's always exceptions but like you're gonna basically either you, you should lower your expectations and say i just want to get a decent paying job and have free time okay then maybe you don't need to you know maybe you can go and if you go to a, you know, go to college and you, um, and you, you just kind of do your nine to five. So, okay, you can get there. But if you want big things, you want to stand out. Um, yeah, that's not going to be easy. You're going to have to. Right. It's going to be a really toiling long road. Um, so to have the ambition, but then to kind of have this premise that it, it shouldn't be that hard for me because I'm me. That's bad. Now the third factor makes it even worse because so already there's kind of this expectations reality gap. Now you have the advent of social media. You have at the time, 2013, it was all Facebook. You yeah. know, now, of course, it's it's less that. But it was everyone was on Facebook. Everyone. Old, young, you know, uh, it was the now, cool now place to old. be. Now it's just old. Now it's just old. Yeah. And it's political. It's all that. Right back then, it was still like, you know, all the cool people, that's where you go. That's the cool spot to hang out online. And there's this concept 
I call image crafting, which is that people, you know, you post these Facebook photos and you're not posting photos of your fight with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend at the time. You're not posting photos of your frustrated single journey and, you know, not being able to find someone to date. You're not going to post photos of your failure at work. Um, You're going to post photos of the best things. You're going to post that amazing vacation. You're going to look, you're having so much fun with your friends. You're out partying with them. You have all these friends. You're going to show that you're, you're, the people who are really crushing it at work are going to show that. You're probably going to make it seem even better than it is. So you end up with this distorted view of everyone else. Because most of what we care about is, is more than anything is comparison. If everyone else is doing what we're doing, it's okay. So it you you feel like you you want to do amazing things. You feel like it should be not too hard, but it, it is. And yeah. you feel like everyone else is crushing it. Perfect recipe for deep misery. And, and your drawings in that really illustrated that they weren't really objectively, things weren't harder or not hard. It was just relative to expectations, right? Exactly. They just thought it was going to be easier, which is never a great side to be on, right? If you're training for something or otherwise, versus their parents thought it was going to be harder, but it was kind of the same, right? It might actually probably objectively was easier. Was perception, easier, yeah. yeah, it would just be much easier. Right. And then they... um and then they have that delusion confirmed, seemingly confirmed, when they see everyone else crushing it. Well, it's easy yeah. for everyone else. So, you know, and, and there is, you know, there's going to be someone in your high school who is crushing it at 25, right? Yeah. Who's, you know, on that 30 under 30 list, whatever. And usually, you know, in, in your parents' generation, you'd hear it through the grapevine, maybe, oh, you know, well, somewhere out there, that person. Now it's in your face, you're in your yeah. face. You're seeing it everywhere. People are talking about it. It's, it's that person is, is very present. So... So my advice at the end of that was uh, stay wildly ambitious. There's a big world out there. You know, there's a lot of prosperity right now. There's a lot of opportunity. Uh, but stop thinking you're special. Like maybe if you bust your ass for 15 years, you can become special. But you're not yeah. right now. And again, unless you're the you're actually the one in a thousand who is extremely rarely talented. That's yeah. not, not most of us. And stop comparing yourself to others because it's not doing anything. Now, it's easy to say, of course, that's hard to do. But yeah. that was my take at the time. And the article like blew up. And you never know what's going to I've done other, other, other articles I thought were going to blow up and they didn't. And then sometimes yeah. they surprise you. This one just like bang. And it just hit the cord at the right time. I think if I published that article today, I, I don't know if it would do anything. I, it, it, it's funny. Right, it's more, I think it's just as accurate today. You were just li- almost a little early on it, like in some ways. Yeah. That's yeah. It, it was, it, it happened to be the right time. It's luck uh, yeah. with this kind of thing. You, you know, you take a lot of swings at the bat, you're going to hit some, you know, on the sweet spot by accident. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's interesting now looking at like what I've been writing about with society more recently. And it's like, I do think that that is a little bit of a prologue to kind of, you know, the, a lot of the culture wars we're in today because it's um it's a lot of very unhappy. You know, what what is this kind of f- feeling like I should be doing better than I am and those other people are doing better than I am? What does it breed? Envy, resentment, frustration, feelings of, of of low self-esteem and you feel lost and you you know you feel depressed and you're, you need to soul search so that's a perfect mindset to be in for kind of a an angry political ideology to to adopt it and to say you know yeah you know the the, the world has wronged me and we need to break you know the system is the problem and you know so it it, it really does kind of feed into i think a lot of that and that's yeah. why you know that's why you should never no matter how well you're doing you should always be rooting just selfishly even if you're not a good person you know just selfishly be rooting always for as many people to be succeeding as possible because it's gonna you know it, when you have masses of unhappy people it's going to take down the whole society it's going to bring everything down yeah and and 
I, I just listened to a professor, similar thing around how even though these sides don't agree on the reason of thing, their 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 belief that that things are are rigged or not in their favor or they're not set up to do well is a shared anger that they have. So that was good transition uh, to the new book. Uh, so you've been writing articles that are as long as books for years, right? This was your thing. These like twenty thousand word. I, you really hadn't, and you'd stayed away from the books. What made this, what made you want to go back to book form? And what was the process? I mean, this took a while, didn't it? Yeah, it took a ton of time. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm delusional as a creator where I, I think something is going to be quicker to do than it is. All those 20 or 30,000 word posts, those were all supposed to be, you know, five or seven. And the ones that are five or seven were supposed to be one or 2,000 words. I mean, and people don't obviously know what words translate to it's like you know multiply the thousands by three and that's about the pages so a thirty thousand word post is about a 90 or 100 page book um so that's long and it was never i never like set out to do that something that crazy so this was another version of this where i i was gonna do a blog post about kind of the current political environment and everything behind it and all that and then that that you know it, it is a lot to say you have to kind of well what's the history here what's the political history why do we what, what why do we do tribalism in general and what's the story with the media and how does social media play into it and you know what, what are these movements that are happening now what are, how, what are they rooted in you know there's a lot um and so it turned to a long post which then i said i just need to start publishing this as a series it's going to be a series i can't have people read something that's now three times longer than my longest thing it's a hundred thousand words that was your first draft was a hundred thousand word blog and I wasn't even done yet. I said I was, you know, I was seven eighths of the way through. And I said, I'm just going to start publishing this. And by the time I get to the last eighth, which is kind of the real world examples from today, yeah. I'll just do that on the spot. I need to start publishing now because this is taking forever. Um, and so I started publishing and I got, um, you know, up to that last section. It was supposed to be 10 chapters were done out of 12. The last one was just going to be a little conclusion. Then that 11th chapter, I was now a year in. It's now suddenly the series just goes and stops for a year as I try to finish this. And that 11th chapter alone became 100,000 words. And I said, this is madness. I can't publish a 200,000 word series. I'm not going to put up a 100,000 word chapter. I need to. And now also, you know, a lot had changed. And I said, I, I know how I want to integrate. I want to redo this whole thing and just make it a book. And so crazy, but I did that. So I basically was like, okay, I'm just going to. And I basically went and rewrote the first part and turned that hundred into thirty thousand. And then that second part, you know, had to bring it down after a painful cutting until the whole thing became like a normal length book, long but norm, pretty normal length. Um, and it's just it's a beast. It was a beast of a project. I think I also was my first book. I think I was kind of an amateur at the book writing process, which is quite different than the post writing process. And I learned that now, so I'm trying to do this next book a lot more. Uh, wisely but uh but yeah i had to learn that at some point and that was my learning experience hey elevate listeners whether you're selling a little or a lot shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business <coughs> shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., 
and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. It's designed by real people for real conversations. I've tried Babbel. It's fun, it's interactive, and in just a few minutes a day, I could see that it was making a difference and helping my comprehension and retention. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com elevate. Get 55% off at babbel.com elevate, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com elevate. Rules and restrictions may apply. So the focal point of the book and what I, a really interesting framework, I think, is this concept of the latter and, and high-rung thinking versus low-run thinking and that being a, a different axis than left and right. Can you walk through those quadrants and sort of how that shows up in our in our everyday world? Yeah, I, I think the left center right axis, that horizontal one-dimensional axis is good. It's important and helps us it helps us kind of orient to the different spectrum of thought or to put it really allows us to sometimes what you know what's left or right is almost arbitrary for a given issue, but it allows us to take issues and look at the spectrum of of possibility and argue about it and figure out what we think. So I think it's it's useful, but it's a what you think axis. You know, if I'm center left, that's me saying that I tend to believe this, this, and this about these issues. You know, someone who is, you know, a strong opinion about immigration, they might have, again, thought deeply. They know that they know the statistics about it. They know the history of it. They understand the complications and they they, they understand both, you know, the different sides. They, they understand their what their opponents think really well, where they right. could steel man those arguments and have their opponents say, yep, that is what I believe. And, and a lot of independent thinking later, they have, they've, they've developed um, a strong opinion, but they could they could debate it. Their, their strength of their conviction on that uh, totally matched. And they don't condemn the other side of those opinions. They say, I understand that as their belief set, and I understand that. Yeah, right? yeah. Part, they, yeah. They might think they're wrong, but they're they not going to not agree with them, but it's not, it's yeah. not like, yeah. Yeah, because they know that issues are complicated and there's good arguments for, you know, you know, different sides of a different issue. And and so that person, when they have strong, they, you know, they often that as someone who thinks that way is often going to say, I don't know about most issues because they're, you know, it's hard to have real conviction. But when they do, it really means something because I mean, this person really knows what they're talking about. And then you have another person saying the same exact viewpoint about immigration. And they are just parroting what their tribe says about it. They have a, and they feel so strongly that they're right because my tribe is good. We are the good people and they're the bad people. And the good people believe this, so I believe that because I'm a good person. And anyone who disagrees is an awful person or so stupid. But they don't understand any of the nuance. Right. And meanwhile, that strength of that conviction does not equal strength of knowledge. That person could not go in a, de in a debate with someone who really understands the issue and, and do well. They would look like they have no idea what they're talking about because they don't. So I said, how do we distinguish? Those people are both at the same place on the x-axis, on the on the horizontal 
political axis. We need another axis here. So I made a vertical axis, you know, the how you think axis. And I would put the first person I talked about with nuance and they earn their conviction and they, they don't demonize or they're not being tribal about it and they're independent thinking and all of that. I, I put them at, at the uh, up on that vertical axis towards the top. And the second person, I put them down towards the bottom um, of that vertical axis. So I call this axis the ladder. And so I, the first person I described is a high rung thinker, and that can be politics or any any strong belief. And the other person I would, I would call them a low rung thinker. Now I don't I don't think it's quite as simple as these are the high rung people and these are I think I am high rung in my thinking sometimes depending on the day, depending on the issue, yeah. depending on my mood, and I can be low rung. We all can, right? So it's not well, that- your sports. You know, you, the scientific, the sports fan. I thought that was that was apt, right? We're all a little right. You you, you want to watch a game that that you objectively believe is fair, but when the call goes in your favor and you know is a bad call, you're you're rooting for your team, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's you know. Uh, we we all do it. We all do low wrong tend. We all have low wrong tendencies. Um, and the goal is if we can have this access uh, in our consciousness in our conversations, we can have better conversations. We can actually uh, do a better job of saying it's not that the good side is the left and the bad side is the right or vice versa. To me, it's that the productive side is the people on top, and they're having a productive argument that together that the clash of that argument you know yields forward progress and truth over time. And the unproductive people, the people who are doing the most damage to the country, are at the bottom. And that spans both the top and bottom, span the political axis. So I used to think of myself as, you know, I grew up being left is good, right is bad. And I was very like low wrong thinking of me. And I I I it was I thought that was the the clear thing. And I just don't think that anymore. I don't think that's true. And I don't think it's wise. I think that now I think that high rung thinkers are good for the world and low rung thinkers are bad for the world. And that if you're being a high rung thinker, which I'm trying to be, I would never say I am a Democrat or a progressive because I'm handing over my independence to some right. corporation, Democrats, or to an ideology. As soon as you state that, it's pretty hard to choose from the a la carte menu. It's your identity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Once your identity is I'm this, well, now you have an identity crisis if you depart from that. So why would you do that? So just put down that. That's a big, heavy bag you're carrying on baggage, you know, identity baggage. Put it down and say, I'm just a thinker looking for the truth and trying to make, you know, good decisions about voting. And and at that point, you're so free to uh, just be interested and read and, and and learn and change your mind. And so, again, it's easier said than done. We all have that. There's a reason that low rung thinking is so common in politics. Politics is bottom heavy. It pulls us down on that ladder. It's just one of those things that stokes our tribal mind. But if we have this ladder in our heads, we can at least have a goal, which is I'm trying to go up on this. And I'm trying to surround myself by people who are high rung. And when someone has a strong opinion, I'm going to assess before I believe it or don't believe it, are, not of whether they're left or right, or they agree or disagree, but are they coming from a high rung place? I find it very useful. What's really interesting as a comparison, I think the highest rung, you had four, right? It was a the the scientific thinker, the sports fan, the attorney, and then what's the bottom one? The zealot. Yeah. The zealot, right? It adds a little more nuance. Instead of just saying high and low, you can add a little more nuance by saying, well, there's top rung thinking, and right. then there's high, but a little bit lower. And then there's low, but not the, the crazy low. And then there's the bottom. And so right. those four terms to me uh, is a nice shorthand for the four rungs of the ladder. But scientific thinking, right? And I think you you point this out, and I've heard this before, but when you think about how far this is from where we are in a lot of things, in order to prove your idea is true, you need everyone to attack it. And you welcome people trying to disprove it because the lack of being able to disprove it makes it true, right? It, that That is a really interesting, when you think about versus people want zero 
discourse or discussion. It's like, please bring, tell me what I'm missing here. Make my argument smaller, uh, make it better by pointing out where I'm wrong and where the holes are. Well, think about if you are a scientist. So I say thinking like a scientist, I don't mean like a career scientist. A lot of career scientists are high rung thinkers and plenty of them are also low rung about politics or about their own scientific beliefs. I'm saying more like the paragon of a scientist, the, you know, the scientific way of thinking, the scientific method. And if you're thinking that way, first, if you're actually doing a science experiment, just say you're trying to cure cancer and you have a potential method. And there's two, let's say there's two scientists in the lab. One is trying, they both have a method for curing cancer. One of them, one lab, they say, we want to take our method and test it. We want to get, let's get criticism. Tell, let's bring a bunch of experts in to tell us what what we're doing wrong. When someone right. tells us that, let's consider it. Let's look at it. Let's try to improve. Let's acknowledge that it's probably not perfect right now, and we have a lot of work to do. This is a really hard problem. The second lab, let's say, say it's two labs. The second lab says this is the the method that this is who we are. Is this method? This method defines this lab. And good scientists, good people who are truly trying to help the world, they would believe this method. And people who disagree with this method are terrible people. Of course. Not only would we not listen to people who say this is bad, because they're obviously awful, terrible yeah. scientists, but we don't even want to have them around. We want to make sure that if someone is like that, they're out, and we don't want to associate with them. You know, Which lab are you betting on as a better chance to cure cancer, right? to do something big? right? Obviously, we all would say the first one, they're acting like real scientists. right? They're actually going to improve something. The second one, they're acting like weird religious zealots about their idea. They're clearly not going to make any progress. They're going to stagnate right where they are, and so I'm not going to bet on them. So, of course, it's easy to see here, because why would you not think like a scientist when you're trying to do something like this? But when it comes to political beliefs, if we think of it this way, um, so many people are that second scientist. So when you're in the top rung, you just think of your ideas as an experiment, right? It's it's a little machine you're building or a little experiment you're building. They're not your identity, right? No, not your identity. It's not your identity at all. It's something, it's your current best crack at it. And and you're, you're sure that there's some flaws. And so... You're hoping you're you still can be hoping that it's right because that would be so great if this were right. Uh, it's not that you don't care. It's just that when someone disagrees with you, you say, "Oh, okay, so you you disagree. Bring it on." Because if you can't break my machine by kicking it and trying to break it with <laughs> criticism, then that's amazing. I just learned this thing is strong. Right. I mean, science knows that if someone proves it wrong at some point, the longer that goes on, the worse it is for them. Exactly. You'd, you'd almost say, thank you. I was yeah. going ar- around with a bad mental model in my head. You'd help me fix it. Thank you. Right. right. So this is the ideal way to think. Again, and it's not that common in politics, but that's where you'd want to be. That's the person who's going to make the most progress. They're going to learn the most. They're going to get be the most accurate over time. They're going to be the most effective. Then even move down a rung to the sports fan rung, I call it. I call it that because it's you're still a high rung thinker. You're above the midline. You're in the top two rungs. But you're starting to identify with your idea a little bit. You're you're not just oh you know completely objectively saying yes. Tell me if it's wrong and I'll change my mind. You're you kind of like a sports fan watching a game and there's a call and it's on the edge and a sports fan is going to kind of always assume it's their team is, yeah, is correct exactly. in that. Yeah. But when they see the replay and it's undeniable, they're going to acknowledge it. If there's undeniable evidence, they're going to say okay yes yes my team lost. They still want to win fair and square. They don't want corrupt refs, right? They, they they still care about the integrity of the game. They just have a strong rooting interest. But they'll take a call that goes their way. <laughs> Yeah, they'll, they'll take a call that goes their way. So the so the sports fan will will learn slower than the scientist because they are going to do stuff like they're going to do confirmation bias things like cherry picking, and they're going to do they're going to kind of maybe uh, be a brick wall to argue against. If someone's arguing against them, they're going to be thinking about what they're going to say next as opposed to really listening. And they're doing a lot a lot of the shitty things that we do. But 
the key distinction that separates them from the lower rungs is that they do over time change their mind. They do acknowledge that in the end, if this evidence is really strong, I'm going to listen to it. I will change yeah. my mind. You get below that midline, and now you you the right below that midline is where the 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 identification with the idea, the desire to to have the idea be right, is now outweighing the desire to actually get it right. And mm-hmm. and once that happens, there's nothing that can change your mind. You know all these people, and you've probably been here too. Yeah, you know when you're arguing with someone where there's nothing you could present to them, no evidence that would make them say, you know what? Oh, okay, I got to rethink that. Maybe I'm right. Nothing. That person now is being, uh, uh, I call it unconvincible land. There's nothing that can convince you. So the top of those two rungs is the attorney. Now I use the attorney is different than a sports fan, which is that instead of just wanting your, your idea to be right, you are now like an attorney's client. If the attorney is the defense, they start at the client is innocent. Now let's figure out why, right? Their starting point is the conclusion. There's nothing that's going to make that attorney say, oh, actually, prosecutor made some good points. I guess my client's guilty. Sorry, buddy. Like that's they're, and, they're and to your to point, which you made, if they find any evidence that would bolster the prosecution's Put case, Put it away. <laughs> right. Get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. They're going to piece together an argument that leads right where they want it to. Right. So you're not really doing, it feels like real thinking when you're doing this because you have all this evidence and you feel like you have all these stats up your sleeve. You could argue, but you're not actually doing any real learning. You're, you're, you ended up exactly where you were uh, planning to from the very beginning. You, there was no way you were going to, you know, do your research and end up somewhere else. So you're not actually a real thinker. You're, you're, you've given away your independence to this idea. You're treating the idea like a client. You work for the yeah. idea now. You are their attorney. Yeah. You are now a faithful disciple of this line of thinking. You are no longer an independent thinker who's in charge of your own ideas. The idea right. is in charge of you. But at least the reason they're not in the bottom rung is at least they understand the concept that they need evidence. They need to be able to put together a good argument. They will engage in argument. They like to argue, even if they'll never change their mind. At the bottom rung, the zealot is when it's like a full religious thing where it's like anyone, you find any argument against your idea disgusting. You don't want to argue anymore. You don't feel the need to collect any evidence. It's like the sky is blue. I don't need evidence for that. I can see it with my own eyes. So this is when someone's politics, they have no real evidence. They don't need it. They're so sure they're right. And anyone who disagrees with them is a terrible person or whatever. Um, and that's the lowest form of of political thinking or any any kind of thinking. Uh, let me ask you, like... It- it's not that these they're not tied to intellect they're tied to style uh like as you said but it occurs to me and i'm thinking of some political people on you know the left or right channels where i actually think they probably are the capacity of a high rung thinker but they're rather than believing this they find it to be effective weapon to their ends right and so they they just know that the zealot the us versus them and these people all think they just know it works Right. And it appeals to the primitive brain and all that stuff. So is there a difference between your kind of all, like they're not drinking the Kool-Aid, but they're pouring the Kool-Aid? I guess that's the that's like, do you see a distinction with the people who are so wrapped up that they can't tell the difference versus they actually know the difference and they're choosing to use it as a I think if you know that you're being a low-rung thinker, then you're not really being a low-rung thinker. You're you're I think the I know what you're saying, which is that yeah. someone who knows for sure, and, and they're basically, that's a grifter what you're talking about, is someone who they know that they're full of shit and they're lying intentionally. That's just like any, you know, any business person that is selling a crap product and they're pretending it's not. Yeah. Um, low-rung thinking is, is it's a delusional thing. And so you think you're being a good thinker. You think you're a high-rung thinker. You think you're, you have the Got truth. It. You really Got believe it. it. That said, I agree with you that... Um, there's actually good evidence that this doesn't correlate with intelligence or education. In fact, it might opposite correlate. 
there's there's some I put some uh, some of these stats in my book that both the more educated and the higher IQ the person, the more likely they are to get really politically tribal. And those are, I think, for two different reasons. Mm-hmm. I think education is, you know, you, if you're educated, you went to college. College is often a place that's very politically tribal. And there's a lot of ideology you learn there. And so I think you can really quickly get kind of sucked into it in a way that someone who graduates high school and goes and gets a job is not going to be exposed to as much. And, you know, it's a little like someone who uh, goes into a religious community for four years and, yeah. you know, full of evangelists and they go to church sermon. They're more likely to come out religious than someone who never does that. The IQ thing is interesting because if you think about what confirmation bias is, it's that there's, you know, maybe there's this little scientist character in your head that is trying to get the truth. And there's also a little attorney character in your head that's trying to prove yourself right and confirm yeah. your beliefs. And really smart people have a really smart attorney in their head that can build a hell of a case. This is why an actual really good attorney is always going to be a very smart person. They're actually so smart that they, you know, people who are smart, they're, they're more likely to talk themselves and to build a case in their own and convince themselves yeah. of this. Well, th- th- there was something like I, you sort of danced or not danced around, but but in a different way, talked about a concept that's been driving me nuts for the last couple of years. And that is like, the values and i think you, you used it values teams and i've said it values policies so similarly but but people say look i really really believe in this but then when push comes to shove they've been like i always thought your policies were formed by your by your values but then i i've just seen people's values shifting dramatically based on on the context and then i'm like well that can't actually be a value if it shifts so i, I think you identified it sort of they're choosing to to go with their team versus their values but i it seems like an interesting world where like I always thought you would pick your just say it's party or policy or everything based on your values but it almost seems backwards now where your values now get constantly shifted based on which team you're with that week or month. So the first thing we we we've been talking about one use of this ladder which is kind of the intellectual use which is yeah. how you form your beliefs. There's two other uses that I talk about in the book that I think they go together. The people who are high in one of these three areas tend to be high in the other two and vice versa. So the second area is what you're talking about here, which is kind of values, principles, morals. So the first area is what you believe. The the second area is kind of what's right and wrong in your head, you know, morally right and wrong. And it's a pretty clear definition of high and low wrong here. (laughs) If you think about a Venn diagram, okay, so you've got two circles and this is staying true to your principles. And this is staying true to your team, kind of your tribe. Yeah. So it's when when an issue comes up where you can be in the middle of the Venn diagram, that's easy for everyone, right? When when you're defending the free speech of the people you agree with, everyone's pro free speech. Yeah. So that could because look, you can be true to your principle for free speech, and <laughs> yeah. you can also be true to your tribe, right? Yeah. Of course, it's so easy to be principled in that case. You're entirely tested when there's a conflict when you have to defend the free speech. You have to defend speech you hate by people you hate. Um, That's when you have a choice. You can either maintain your principle and say, I hate that speech. I don't like those people, but they, I'm going to defend it. Like I would defend anything else. People should not shut them down. They should get to speak. Or you choose the team and you say, you know, down with them, cancel them, whatever, you know, you you use, they they don't just say cancel them. They're going to use things like that's dangerous speech or this is harmful. They're gonna, different ways of saying, shut down the, the free speech. So true colors are tested when you have to choose between team and principle. And the high rung thinking 
almost always you're going to see people true to their principles. And that means they're going to piss off their team a lot. They're going to piss off people. They're going to be all, they seem like they're all over the place. They're, you know, they're on this side of this issue, on this side of this issue. But actually, if you look, it's a consistent principle that they're yeah. following. On the lower rungs, it's almost always the people who pretend to be all principled, but when push comes to shove, they always stick with the team. So they're they're super so is it into that they're not it. really principled then? I, again, I think they think they are. This is primitive wiring. This was survival wiring, right? Hundreds yeah. of thousands of years ago. Yeah, you didn't survive by being principled against your team. You survived yeah. by pretending the team is right about everything. So, I mean, just look at how many people are super critical of a presidential policy. And then when the next guy's in office, who's their guy, they suddenly don't mind that principle anymore. Whereas you can just look at Bush versus Obama. Well, you have a great example now. You have a Hunter Biden investigation and Trump investigation. And exactly. you can just watch how people treat these things like they're two totally, uh, you know, different. Exactly. Things. Or like yeah. people who, you know, people who are critical of drone strikes and stuff like that. And, you know, and then suddenly Obama's doing it and it's okay. Or they're critical of government spending when Obama's doing it, but then Trump is doing it and now it's okay. You know, yeah. there's a million of these examples. Uh, you know, you're all about um, libertarian principles until it's about something you don't like, like drugs. And now suddenly you want the government to control what you can do. You know, there's a million of these examples. And that's a pretty clear thing. There's that Venn diagram. And in the end, you are you know, there's three regions, but you're you're always in one of the two circles. And the people higher up you are, I think the more likely you're going to be staying in the principal right. circle, even when it's upsetting to your team. When you're low rung, you're going to stay in that team circle, even when it's violating your own, even when it's making you a hypocrite. Um, and then the third way I like to use the latter is thinking about like political tactics. So there's beliefs, there's you know values, and then there's tactics. How do you actually, because okay, so now you have your political goals, how do you get what you want? And up on the high rungs, you're going to see people try to win in, in a place like the U.S. at least where, you know, it's a right. liberal democracy. Win hearts and minds or use fear and, and loathing, right? Those, Basically, those, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to use persuasion. You're going to try yeah. to get what you want, which is, by the way, if you look at the great movements in American history, they almost never used coercion to get what they want. They used persuasion. They they created a mind-changing movement that spread because they had righteousness on their side and they did have truth on their side. Yeah. And when you have that and you and you fight and you, you know, out in the in the marketplace of ideas, it takes a long time sometimes, but your ideas will catch on. All these, you know, there's women's suffrage movement, the civil rights movement, gay rights movement, you know, gay marriage, all of these. If you look at public opinion, had shifted by the time actual things changed. Um, the desire to to make cigarettes kind of um, illegal in a lot of places that didn't, you know, that happened when enough people had been convinced that okay, wait, this causes cancer. So you create a mind changing movement to get what you want. You you don't try to shut down the other person's speech. You try to argue it. So you see an op ed you hate, you write an op ed against it, or you you, or you post online about why you think it's wrong. You attack the right. Idea. And this is in our society, and the, and look, this is where. I think the far left, I you know, take down your op-ed. Like the whole point of op-ed is you you write an opinion, I write a counter opinion. We debate it, not not take it down. Well, yeah. it says something. <laughs> I think people at the top, like I said, that they could get on a debate stage and yeah. happily debate someone because if they feel strong, it means they really know a lot. Likewise, they don't need to suppress anything. If they, if anything, they say, "Good, keep putting your bad argument out there." I'm going to show everyone it's naked now in front of everyone. I'm going to show everyone how bad it is. They say, "You know, good, make that argument." And I'm going to debate you, and I'm going to get up there and show why it's bad, whatever. And so they feel like they have truth on their side. If you, if you feel like you're stronger in the intellectual ring, why would you want to cheat or shut down the fight? No, oh, please bring it on, right? 
as you go down the ladder, you find these very strong arguments that don't have much backing. The, there's a lot of hypocrisy with principles. There's a lot of, um, you know, strong conviction that's not well-earned, you know, that you don't actually know what you're talking about. And so you're going to see people try to get what they want. Persuasion is not going to work for those people. They don't have enough persuasive things to say. Um, what, what they can do is they can try to coerce. They can intimidate you. They can say anyone who says the argument against me is a terrible person. So they can try to ruin someone's reputation who speaks against them. They shut down the talk. They get the speaker disinvited. They get the person fired, which is, you know, very kind of like, that's not what a, play, a liberal democracy is a place where you can actually, that's not how change is supposed to happen here. And, you know, you, it only happens that way if the group, I think, is, you know, believes that this is the way that we're going to make progress is just raw kind of bullying. Um, and so a lot of what people say, you know, the far left or the far right, they'll talk about those groups. And I think what they're talking about is, is the when they define those groups. Piece of it. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're talking about people who are have extreme views and they're not very nuanced and, and they're not accurate and they're hypocritical in their principles and they flip-flop in their principles because uh, they're super tribal and they demonize the other side and they use coercion. They're bullies, right? They're scary to disagree with. If they come after you, you know, they're going to... That's not the far left and far right because the up on the high rungs, you have the far left and the far right. And those are, you know, the far left up on the high rungs is just the people who are, um, have kind of radical ideas. And there's nothing inherently bad about that. There's, they, they think that there's big systemic problems. We need to fix them. Great. I want those people in the conversation because probably we're wrong about some big things and they're the ones who are going to point it out. And likewise, I want the far right here because the far right is the one, they're the fiercest defender of our traditions and our values. And yes, sometimes we are important things are atrophying and we want those people to point it out. Even if they're going to, even if these wings are going to annoy the moderates, they're important. So it's not fair to the far left and far right to say that, that you know, well, that's why we need the, the vertical axis because now you can say the lower left and the lower right right are the problem and the far left and far right above are not a problem at all so i think that's an important thing and likewise it gives the the one-dimensional thing it demonizes the far left and far right too much and it also gives the centrists too much credit because people say we need more centrists we need more you know people in the middle and and they're trying to say we need more high rungers we need more people that are nuanced that are open to debate and open right. to changing their mind that use persuasion but centrist is just a policy more. position we need we need more people who buy off the a la carte menu right yeah, yeah, but but centrists don't own that. That's again the whole top, you know, rungs across the spectrum think like that. And by the way, the centrists at the very bottom are zealots about being centrist. They are dogmatically centrist. They take the centrist position reflexively, and they don't know anything either. So um, I think it's just it's it really having one axis is not enough. The second one just opens up the discussion and gives us that other language we need. Hi everyone, if you're not a subscriber to Harvard Business Review you're missing out on a wealth of leadership content. Widely acknowledged as the leader in business leadership information, Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their incredible podcasts. Premium subscribers can also access a selection of Harvard Business School real-world case studies and scenarios that provide business leaders with the learnings from how business leaders manage their business, their team, and themselves. When I need a source or data that I can trust for one of my articles, HBR is my go-to. Just this week, I referenced one of their articles about the efficacy of required diversity training, which had the most data behind it by far. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free, after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at just $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions 
and enter promo code ELEVATE right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. With everyone fighting for attention these days, how can you get your business to stand out and connect with customers? It's easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media postings, and even event management. You'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing that your emails are actually reaching your customers, thanks to their best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Constant Contact was actually the first email marketing platform I ever used almost 20 years ago, and it's a testament to the product's quality that it's still the standard for email marketing today. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. So perfect segue. Explain genies versus golems, because this is when you get all these people together on one of the side to either do good or do evil, right? Yeah. Well, so this is basically, we talked about everything so far as like how it affects individuals. So you can have one person on the ladder on this rung or this rung or this rung, and this is how they will think and how yeah. they will act. But of course, we're like a social species. So groups of people can do high rung thinking and high rung politics together. And likewise, they can, so, we, you know, we have the term for when a group of people is doing low rung thinking together, it's called an echo chamber. So when a bunch of people are forming a, almost like a coalition where the core binding thing is that they all agree on this and they're they hate the people that disagree with them the people that disagree with them are bad people and they do that together and they put pressure on each other to conform if you want to stay in the group you better conform right so that's a very um it's a very primitive kind of thinking we do this all of this you know we all all of us can do this we fall into this dynamic when suddenly it's really awkward to disagree with the group on this topic so it's an echo chamber there, there's this kind of cultural pressure on everyone in the group to conform so it kind of has this gravity where each person might be low rung or maybe not, but the group itself is kind of keeps itself in the, on the low rungs. And then the high rung collaborative thinking, I call it an idea lab, which is just a bunch of people who where the culture is that agreement, disagreement's cool and don't identify with your ideas and don't talk out of your ass and express unearned conviction or people aren't going to trust you. And saying, I don't know, sounds make you sound smart and be consistent. And we're going to call you on it if you're not. And what binds that group is the way of thinking, not the ideas themselves. The group will disagree about ideas, but they have a common way of thinking. At the bottom, they will all agree. That's the core idea. So the, the what I started to realize is that this has an effect on each individual. If you surround yourself by high-rung thinkers, A, it's good for you. You're going to be told you're wrong when you're wrong. You're going to get to, you're going to be more fun. You get to throw out ideas. You get to be wrong and it's okay. People will just disagree with you. You're not going to be thought of as a terrible person. So it's good for the people. It makes you smarter and it's more fun to be in an idea lab culture. And it sucks to be in an echo chamber culture. It makes it, it makes people's brains atrophy because you don't do any real thinking and you're kind of encouraged not to do any real thinking. And that's scary to say the wrong thing. But I started realizing that also these groups have these emergent properties. 
Um, if you look at like this amazing society around us and all the scientific knowledge we built up, individual humans aren't smart enough to do that. But if we have this kind of, you know, the modern organized science is this global collaboration. It's an idea lab where inherently the, the whole point is to disagree, to write papers that try to take down that paper and disprove each other's things and each other's hypotheses. So it's this global kind of high rung intellectual culture. And it's produced, you know, we now know about quantum mechanics and like relativity and we know we're amazing. And if you look at the stories behind any of this, it's fierce scientific disagreement and people can't stand each other because they all think they're wrong. That culture yields like progress. That's So I call that a genie. It's like when a bunch of these people get together, this like bigger super brain kind of forms over them. They form a super brain that I call a genie just to give it a name. It's like a, it's like a big giant superhuman brain. Yeah, And that's, that's what's behind so much of our amazing stuff. The golem is a kind of like in, in mythology, like a big, dumb, like trudging, trampling Godzilla type monster. <laughs> and to me, that's what an echo chamber is emergent property is. It's it's not smart at all. It doesn't produce any collective intelligence. You lose that amazing capability we have. And instead, what you produce is the emergent property is raw power and scariness. If you get in the way of a golem, they might stomp on you and and, and you ruin your life. You know, and if you're in Maoist China, they might actually kill you or throw you in jail yeah. or in the not Nazi Germany. In the US, they'll just destroy your reputation, get you fired and isolate you from social the social world. So to me, when I, I kind of backed up and I said, you know, there, there's there's this second axis and there are these, you know, each group, each small group or big group has one of these cultures really guiding. But if you take a big step back and zoom out, it's like, oh, I see genies over there and over there. And this golem is like tramping through society, stomping on institutions right now. And if I had to define the time we live in, it's that, you know, there's always golems and there's always genies. But right now, the genies have gotten really quiet and scared and the golems are empowered and emboldened and they're they're huge and they're stomping at society and they're indoctrinating kids and they're making they're totally taking over places like universities or a lot of companies uh a lot of media companies and you've got like and everyone is scared of the golem even you know all the people who are in it are scared of it so it's i don't think there's that many bad people here i think that we've kind you're of with uh, us here against us in a golem right yeah yeah that mindset is always there, but it's on the rise. That mindset is more successful than it normally is, which is why you have a candidate like Trump who can do, who speaks the lower rung language. Um, and he's succeeding more than he normally would. And you have a, a movement like the, the woke movement, which to me is a lower left movement, uh, very much a golem, um, which is distinguishing it from the, what I would call the high rung social justice movement, the liberal social justice movement, which is again, behind the civil rights movement and the gay marriage movement. I think that's a critical, you know, always a critical force in the US. That movement has been undermined by its low rung counterpart, which wears the uniform of social justice, but it's really just a big tramping blue golem, which everyone's scared of. Um, those things, there's always a radical left kind of golem somewhere out there, but it's doing way too well. It's it, Why is it so powerful? Why is everyone scared of it? Why can it get you fired right now? It doesn't usually have that power. You know, in the early 50s, in the Red Scare, there was a big golem, an anti-communist golem that everyone was scared of in that moment. And we're in one of those times right now. Uh, and I, we can see it in multiple areas. So let's pretend you're, you know, in sort of maybe solving some of this problem. You, you know, you're a high-rung thinker and you're trying to have a debate with me you're a scientist approach i'm a zealot what can you do is there anything like you can do to try to elevate the discussion or or kind of change the perspective so that people are willing to think about this stuff a little more yeah i mean i think there are zealots plenty of them but i do find that most people if you get them one-on-one -on -one and you don't attack them a lot of people are not actually zealots and, and, you know, maybe they're, they're attorneys about their political beliefs or whatever, and maybe they're zealots, but it's good to come at the discussion, not with disdain of this person's such a bad thinker. This person's a brick wall to argue with, but to say, look, this person's doing a human thing. 
that we all do, that I do sometimes, which is identify with my ideas. And they're doing it right now. I can see it. And so you want to try to kind of break that identification with the thing without, you know, being like, you're wrong. And, you know, and here's all the reasons you're wrong. And read this article. They're not going to do that. They're going to they're going to end up feeling stronger about their beliefs, probably uh, after the discussion with you, because they're going to, you know. Um, So I think in those cases to just ask questions, to ask about what they believe, let them really expand and maybe challenge it a little bit by asking pointed questions about, you know, how about this and, and, and be respectful. And you're going to kind of simmer their primitive mind a little bit, and maybe they can start talking to their higher mind, and maybe they'll be open. So look, and that's if you want to do that. I I mostly try to surround myself with high-rung thinkers, if I can. Um, The low-rung thinkers I know, the people who tend to do that, maybe it makes sense to try to change them. And sometimes it's just like, you know what, I'm not going to talk to them about politics. Um, If if, if there's no no use in it. Now, again, it's not because they disagree with me. I love high rung thinkers who disagree with me. So it's plenty right, right. of, it's cause we're not, no, no one's going to gain anything out of this conversation. No. And it's, 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 sometimes you find that every time I, we get into it, we kind of hate each other and we end up in like a fight because yeah. the low rung thinkers don't, they don't find arguing fun. They find like a fight and they hate, they mad. They don't like you anymore. And sometimes it's just, I just don't think people should sacrifice their personal relations. I think if you love someone and they're a political zealot, let them be a political zealot for now. I mean, again, you can, if you want to try to change them, please, that you're doing a service to the country, if you can do it. You, but, you, you might help a lot of people with families here who just realize like, look, I love whatever, but they're a lone rung thinker in this area. And just, this is like danger. Do not go there. Like, well, yeah. Think about what it's doing. <laughs> if, if you're saying I'm believe in the Republicans and they believe in the Democrats and we can't be friends anymore. You're not that different than someone who's saying they're in this cult and I'm in this cult and I'm going to excommunicate the people who are not in the cult. I mean, you're kind of letting this, this political group, or this political group, destroy your relationships, which is totally fucked up, I think. I think you should not do that. Look, sometimes someone's such a monster with politics that they're just mean, they're unpleasant to you in general. Okay, then that's just not someone you should be friends with, maybe. But if someone is mostly someone you love and they're a good person, but when you get into this topic, you know, I think just like, there's so much work you can do just by interfacing with other high-rung thinkers or people who are in the middle, who who have a good potential, um, and mostly just argue with the high-rung thinkers and try to figure out what's going on and try to try to encourage other high-rung thinkers, you know, to to be proud of what they believe in the way they think and not to feel like they're wishy-washy or they're a bad person because they don't agree with the tribe, but actually that they're being a good thinker. Try to help. That's what I tried to do with this book is basically I wanted to, first and foremost, uh, talk to a, uh, the people who I think are pretty good high-rung thinkers, but they're kind of feel bad about themselves right now because of the environment and they are scared to speak to, to let them, you're not alone. A lot of people are like you right now thinking this stuff and it's actually good. You're, you're actually, your humility is a good thing. Uh, You don't have to have strong opinions and be proud of that and go speak up and, you know, don't hide your views. That's a huge service right there. If you can convince people like that to be proud of who they are and to speak out more. And then secondly, people who are on the edge, people who they, they're pretty much a good thinker in their life, but they've gotten swallowed up and maybe in, in the culture wars in the last few years to try to pull them out and help pull them out. And, and then of course, just to self-reflect, it helps me not do this because I can do it too, like anyone else and find myself cherry picking evidence and getting way too heated in an intellectual argument when someone disagrees with me, we all do this. So um, the third goal could have been, I'm going to try to convince zealots to stop being zealots. And I didn't go there really. I mean, it's like, yeah. if, I hope some zealots yeah. read it and change their mind, but they're probably not going to read my book and they're probably not going to change their mind if they do. And they're true zealot, they wouldn't even pick it up, right? Exactly. <laughs> when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help define the right professionals for your team 
faster and for free. Any candidate who's looking for a job is going to be on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals, and many like myself use it every day, which also makes it the best place to hire. LinkedIn gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. That's why 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free today at linkedin.com practical. That's linkedin.com practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So last question, you know, bring this all together. I would have to have you back, go another hour on this. But what what's something you profoundly, through talking to people with different beliefs that you've profoundly changed your mind about? That I have or that I would? That you have. Well, I mean, for, uh, so many things. I mean, I guess I said, I when I started writing this, I maybe 2014, I was thinking, you know, left is good about everything, right is bad about anything. Anything with the word social justice on it must be a good thing because social justice is purely like a good cause. Um, and I just like have totally, I have a much more nuanced view on things. Now, I still believe the core concepts of social justice that I was thinking about before are important and good, but like- right. But you can't um, attach I, that to any behavior and say that it's always morally right. No, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm a totally different thinker than I was yeah. when I was- you know, in 2014, 2015, when I started writing about this. But then I think becoming, I think a better thinker in those years has also just allowed me to be more nimble in general about, you know, so I I, I find myself more likely to change my mind about little things, about new things now that come up along the way. Like I, I thought religion was the devil back then. Not, you know, no pun intended. Like I thought, I thought religion was like the biggest problem in this country and that religious people, and that's, I just don't, I think that I was wrong about that. I think that of course religion can be bad, but like, I think religion has a lot of positives to it. I think that there's a lot of trial and error for centuries that have gone on to actually bring the principles of these religions, you know, to what they are. And I think that it's not that in a world without religion, everyone's now a happy, you know, rational, uh, kind atheist. A lot of times they will find an, a very new, nasty political religion to join and that that preys on their empathy. And so um, I've totally come around on like, I, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I used to say, if, you know, if I could press a button, have Christianity just disappear from the world, I would I, I would not press that button now anymore at all. Might save your life a few times over there. Uh, in different yeah. realms. Um, well, Tim, thanks yeah. for joining us. Uh, I think your book is, has clearly struck a chord from what I've seen, and I'm looking forward to how it continues to influence and improve people's thinking. Cool. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Tim and What's Our Problem, which you can buy wherever books are sold on the detailed episode page at robertglazers.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review or a rating because it helps new users discover the show and great guests such as Tim. Thank you again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. Hello, Elevate Podcast listeners. I wanted to let you know about my friend Darius and his amazing show, The Greatness Machine. The Greatness Machine is one of the top-ranked educational and business podcasts in the country, recently ranking top five in the entrepreneurial category on iTunes. 
Here's why I love Darius and the Greatness Machine. It really comes down to a few things. The Greatness Machine has amazing guests from the likes of sports icon Gabby Reese, worldwide news sensation Amanda Knox, FBI hostage negotiator Chris Voss, and tiny habits expert and author BJ Fogg, to NHL Hall of Famer Chris Pronger, and hundreds more. Darius keeps it real. I always learn something new, and I have a few laughs. And he always also asks great questions and is a really entertaining and engaging host. The Greatness Machine is where you get to be a fly on the wall and listen to Darius and his amazing group of guests talk about how they got to where they are today and hear stories of people who have lived their passions to create greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. So if you want to be entertained while learning from some of the greatest and most accomplished people in the world, this is definitely a show for you to check out. Subscribe to The Greatness Machine today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast, or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.